TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. I always enjoy bringing you the latest. This is The Scoop. It's The Scoop with Darren Dookie Wolfson from 5 Eyewitness News. This new month brings a new podcast, although I'm not quite sure anything could take place on the positive side here in September that would make this a good month. A September to remember, but nonetheless, life goes on. I hope you're safe. I hope you're staying sane. This is Scoop Podcast episode 312 being recorded on the 1st of September, Tuesday evening. I'll begin by emptying out my figurative notebook, reviewing the Twins trade deadline happenings or non-happenings. I mean, they tried sort of to do some things, but in the end, did not make a trade. They did check in on Mike Clevenger with the Indians before the Indians made the trade with the Padres. The Indians told the Twins, yeah, we're willing to move him in division, but the price will be high, much higher than what San Diego eventually paid. Put it this way, the Twins were asked a lot, not just by Cleveland, by other teams. They were asked a lot about Royce Lewis, Alex Kirilov, Trevor Larnick. The Twins were not moving any of those three hitting prospects, at least at this point. Maybe they'll revisit that idea in the winter if the right ace is available, right starting pitcher is available, but right now they were not willing to go down that path. Heck, the Twins were asked a lot about Trevor May, Taylor Rogers, Tyler Duffy. Of their 28-man roster, they were asked the most about some of their relievers, but the Twins didn't come remotely close to moving anyone off their 28-man roster. I do think two guys that they missed an opportunity on were Trevor Rosenthal. Royals reliever was sent to San Diego, I'm told, by a non-Twins official, but somebody involved in the talks that the Twins were not really in on Rosenthal. The Twins talked to Kansas City, but they were not really in on Rosenthal. Also, Archie Bradley. I don't think the Reds on the surface paid a lot for Archie Bradley with the Diamondbacks. The Twins did talk to Arizona, but never got even remotely close to swinging a deal for Bradley. In fact, I had one Twins official suggest that he believes the deal between the Reds and the Diamondbacks came together very late because the Twins talk to all teams. They like to have an idea, a gauge of a price point for each guy that could be moved or is eventually moved just so they don't miss out on a potential bargain. So they literally have correspondence with every team. So the Twins You know, they talked to the Angels. That's why you saw the Dylan Bundy steam or the Lance Lynn steam. I can just tell you this much. The Twins never, ever, ever came even like remotely, minusculely close to trading for Lance Lynn. They were not bringing back Lance Lynn. So I got a kick out of John Morrissey and some other national reporters attaching the Twins to some names. Frankly, it's because the Twins check in with every team. But like Starling Marte, does he have fans here in Minnesota? 100%. Did the Twins ever come remotely close to trading for an expensive outfield bat? Absolutely not. So I guess I sort of get it when national guys were attaching the Twins to a bunch of names, like literally every name out there, some national reporter had the Twins in on. But I can just tell you, they just they didn't come all that close to actually completing any trade, certainly not for Lynn, certainly not for Marte. Yeah, they had some interest in Bundy, but the Angels were asking for the moon. The Twins were not moving the moon to get Dylan Bundy. On the health front, Josh Donaldson is good to go. He'll be back in the lineup later this week. Cody Stashak, the reliever, is not far behind. Jake Odorizzi, then, isn't all that far behind. Not necessarily this week, but later this month. Same with Zach Littell 
and Mitch Garver, even Homer Bailey, who isn't eligible to come off the injured list until mid-September. There's even some hope that he could make his way back. The issue there is, is there a spot in the rotation for Bailey? Unlikely, plus he'll need some serious time to rebuild his full stamina. But they are not to the point of counting out anybody for the season. But pecking order-wise, certainly Bailey would be at the bottom of any list. And when Odorizzi is back, with Mike Pineda back, they have six starters. The Twins have internally kicked around the idea that makes logical sense that one of those six starters eventually will be shifted to the bullpen. On the Vikings front, the Ngakwe trade came together fast, like late last week fast. Now, it's interesting because the Vikings did make a competitive offer to Everson Griffin. I reported that on this podcast a couple episodes ago. That being said, full context, like if the Vikings really wanted Everson Griffin back, they had the money, they would have found a way. So it's interesting because, yeah, they made a competitive offer, not quite what Dallas offered. But like if Mike Zimmer really wanted Everson Griffin back, I think Everson Griffin would have been back. But the Vikings clearly were looking for another pass rusher. Maybe they knew that they had Ngakwe in their back pocket, so they made Griffin an offer. And if he wanted it, great. If he didn't, they were going to move on. But really, things didn't, I'm told, come together on the Ngakwe front. He signs a one-year, $12 million deal with Jacksonville, traded here to the Vikings, so he'll make $12 million this year. It really didn't come together until late last week, like Friday into Saturday morning. It is interesting on the Dalvin Cook front. Nothing new, by the way. No new dialogue, no new offer, nothing. Not that that can't change snap of the fingers with one phone call, but nothing percolating on the Dalvin Cook contract extension front. It is interesting, though, that like Jamal Adams, mouths off, gets traded. Alvin Kamara doesn't show up. Now there's talk about maybe the Saints shopping him around. Dalvin's been a good soldier. He's done everything asked of him. Yeah, didn't take part in some of the virtual meetings at the end of, you know, the June and May activities into June, but not that big of a deal, not like he had to be in Egan or anything like that. Heck, he was working his ass off on his own. I mean, we can see that. You look at the video from camp. I mean, he has put on noticeable muscle. He is in phenomenal shape. It just it is interesting how Dalvin has been a really good soldier throughout this ordeal. He has said all the right things. Kubiak, Zimmer, others have said all the right things. Heck, Spielman going back to the Combine in February in Indianapolis, which seems like forever ago. But hey, we're still not to the point of Dalvin being even remotely close to signing an extension. What it could come down to is the Vikings eventually signing Gakwe to an extension. Anthony Harris leaves after the season as an unrestricted free agent. Then if need be, the Vikings could use the franchise tag on Dalvin Cook. By the way, Joe Mixon of the Bengals signs an extension, or at least agrees to terms here on Tuesday. Four years, $48 million. I'm told for Dalvin to get a deal done, he's not even looking for that. Yeah, in the ballpark, on a per-year basis, yes. But he would take less than what Joe Mixon got. But the Vikings are not at this point close to extending such an offer. At this point, it looks like on September 13th against the Packers, the Vikings will use Holton Hill, Cam Dantzler, and Mike Hughes at the cornerback positions, but they'll rotate guys in. They like Chris Boyd. Jeff Gladney was a first-round pick. He's going to eventually get snaps. Then at the guard positions, Dakota Dozier and Pat Elfline. Riley Reef is back. His agent shopped him around. He did tell some teammates he didn't expect to be back, but hey, Making what he'll make with the Vikings is better than being unemployed or at least going to another team but not making as much money. Teams are just not willing to cut an $8 million check 
at this point. Not that he's making $8 million, but the point is he can make more money here than elsewhere. But it will be interesting to track how Riley Reef is doing. Not a media darling by any stretch. I was shocked he did a Zoom with us a couple weeks ago. He rarely, if ever, talks to the media occasionally after a game, never during the week. But, yeah, it will be interesting to hear from some of his teammates how he's doing throughout the season, certainly in the coming days after having to take a pay cut when you can argue he is clearly this team's number two offensive lineman. Yes, Brian O'Neill number one, but when ranking the importance of offensive lineman or skill set or best offensive lineman, Riley Reef, in my opinion, is clearly number two, yet asked to take a pay cut. But the pay cut here was better than anywhere else. B.C. Johnson is the number two receiver. He has had a kick-ass camp. Justin Jefferson can line up in the slot. Jefferson is going to get snaps, but B.C. Johnson is certainly going to get a lot of snaps. Irv Smith Jr., the tight end, has a lot of people excited in Egan. The Vikings are worried about their safety depth. Keep an eye on the waiver wire this weekend. Will they acquire a safety? Does the right safety become available? Certainly something to keep an eye on. On Gophers Athletics, Liam Robbins actually thinks this will be the week that he finds out from the NCAA whether he will be immediately eligible. The expectation is he will be immediately eligible. This has been one heck of an ordeal. He thought he'd hear officially four weeks ago. Then the NCAA went back to the Gophers. They needed more paperwork. The Gophers got them that paperwork. Finally, at this point, Robbins expects to hear before the week is over. But then again, we're talking about the NCAA So who the heck knows? But I can just tell you the expectation is that he will be immediately eligible. Same with Booth Gotch. Booth Gotch, there's really nothing to worry about on that front. David Mutoff is here from Turkey. He took part in his first on-campus workout earlier today. There is still talk of the Gophers participating in some sort of bubble-esque setup, playing basketball maybe as soon as late November, early December, but... Like everything in college sports, heck, life, it is incredibly fluid. The Gophers Athletics Department announced a little bit ago something I tweeted much earlier on Tuesday, that they had 43 positive test results. That's 43 total out of 1,406 tests administered since June. So again, 43 positive COVID-19 tests out of 1,406 tests administered since June. There is support on campus that whenever the Big Ten decides to rock and roll with football, the sooner the better. Like, there are people on campus, even though the Gophers were in favor of what's taking place right now, no football here in early September. They were okay. You know, the story came out earlier this week. Ohio State was pissed. Nebraska, Iowa, those three institutions were against the Big Ten decision to delay the fall season. And the Gophers supported the decision. They understood it. But at this point, there are people on campus, not across the board. It's not universal, but people of power, I can tell you, that support the Gophers football team playing sooner rather than later. Unfortunate news with Curtis Dunlap Jr., the stud offensive lineman, the right guard, transferring, wants to be closer to home. Can't fault anybody in this COVID-19 life. He wants to be closer to home. So he is heading out from the Gophers. He announced that on Twitter earlier today. On the Wolves front, my buddy Scoop Robinson, Brandon Robinson on Twitter, reports that the Wolves have interest in Victor Oladipo. I love Brandon. They may eventually. Gerson Rosas will always go star hunting. Oladipo makes sense, especially if you could lock him up 
to a long-term extension. He can be a free agent in a year. But I can just tell you, from the Pacers' standpoint, they literally haven't talked to one team, let alone the Wolves. They've not talked to one team yet about any offseason moves. And it's not like the Wolves had trade interest in Oladipo going back to February or prior with, with the serious injury he suffered. So could the Wolves eventually have interest in Victor Oladipo? Absolutely. Have the Wolves talked to the Pacers anytime recently? No, absolutely not. But the Wolves like some guys on the Pacers. They checked in on Sabonis before he signed his extension last year as one example. But nothing cooking yet on the Wolves and Oladipo. There still is a ways to go, whether it's Daniel E. Strauss, he's still considered the front runner, or anyone else to cross the finish line to buy the Wolves and Lynx. It is a lengthy process. I'm told draft-wise, no surprise, the Wolves right now are doing the most homework on LaMelo Ball and Anthony Edwards. There is a drop-off in terms of homework being done after those two. Continuing the NBA draft theme, Zeke Naji, Hopkins High School, Pac-12 Freshman of the Year from the University of Arizona, He had another draft interview this week, this time with the Sacramento Kings. He has now done at least 23 or 24 teams. So if you're a team out there that hasn't talked to Zeke, shame on you. He's such a good interviewer, conversationalist. I can't fault him for wanting to do all these interviews. What the heck else are you going to do right now? He remains in Vegas training at Impact Basketball. The former gopher, Daniel Oturu, has interviewed with or will interview with The Bulls, the Cavs, and Wizards with many more to come. But those are the ones that have either taken place or are scheduled. All right, let me get to my conversations for this podcast. Let me start with Jared Vanderbilt, Wolves forward. He came to the Wolves in that transaction back in February where D'Angelo Russell landed here. Denver was involved. He came from the Nuggets organization. Played a year at Kentucky. Former McDonald's All-American, he is 21 years old. Don't sleep on the possibility of Jared Vanderbilt helping the Wolves and a lot as soon as next season. I caught up with him a couple weeks ago to talk about how he's progressing this summer. Here's my conversation with Jared Vanderbilt. What's it been like just navigating these atypical times? And, like, I think about your situation, like, February (laughs) – your world is flipped upside down. You go from Denver to Minnesota. You get your feet wet. You go to Iowa. You kick some serious butt, put up some big numbers. You get a little bit of run up here with the with the NBA team. And all of a sudden, season shut down, pandemic hits. Like, it's been a crazy few months. How have you been able just to navigate everything going back to the trade? Well, like you said, it's been crazy, you know, ever since I got traded, you know. Um, I went from, like you said, I went from Denver. I came here. February, as soon as I got here, I got shipped down to Iowa, played a little bit there, and then right when I was about to come back up and play, um, COVID happened, and then they ended up shutting the season down. So, uh, like I said, it's been pretty interesting year, to say the least, you know, just with all that's been going on. But uh, right now, I'm just trying to, you know, make the best of, you know, the situation and, you know, to continue to get in the gym and continue to work. Speaking of making the most of your situation, making the best of your situation, how – how good of a situation is this here for you with, with the Wolves? Uh, I think it's great. You know, um, you know they're a young team. Um, I feel like it's, I have a great opportunity over here to, you know, showcase my game. And I feel like I can provide uh, my game and what the 
team needs, I feel like, is a good match. You know, I feel like I can provide a lot of good stuff for this team and organization. And, uh, yeah, I just feel like it's a great opportunity here to grow. When you talk about what you can contribute, I mean, like, are you talking, can you play, like, do you feel comfortable playing the three and the four? I mean, like, I think long-term, Jared, like, okay, mm -hmm. D'Angelo's locked in. I think Malik Beasley mm -hmm. is back. Cat's here. Mm -hmm. But, like, to me, those forward positions are still are still up in the air here. Like, can you play both forward mm -hmm. positions? Oh, for sure. Like, um, I started off playing the three, you know, um, then we started moving, you know, the league started moving towards the small ball, so I went to the four and the five. So I feel comfortable playing any position, you know. Like I said, I'm just a basketball player, so – uh, anywhere you put me on the floor, I feel like, you know, as long as I'm out there, I can make something happen. So, uh, yeah, like I said, even in, down here, I've been working on, you know, uh, you know, playing the three and the four, doing wing stuff, playing on the perimeter, playing in the post, trying to do a little bit of everything. So, um, you know, I'm geared to do and capable of doing whatever, you know, the team needs. When you say down here, so are you in Texas right now? Have you been bouncing back and forth between Texas and being here in Minnesota for summer workouts? I'm actually in Minnesota. I've been here for a couple of weeks now. Been working out with uh, with staff. Okay, so the plan is that you'll be here for a bit just to get work in here. Uh, yeah, for right now, pretty much. Uh, yeah, I'll be out here just getting some work in. You know, uh, they opened up the gym like a couple weeks ago, so I've been here ever since. So, yeah, that's the plan. Have you had a chance to work one on one with head coach Ryan Saunders? I have. I have. Um, we kind of alternate who gets to work with who some uh, each and every day, but I have worked with coach a couple times and. You know, it's been nothing but great energy and great, and it's been a great experience so far. I mean, I would think that's a pretty cool setup then where you get some individual mm -hmm. time with Ryan, you get some individual time with some of the other assistant coaches. Mm -hmm. I mean, it seems like the plan that they have over there is a pretty darn good plan to help develop a lot of you guys this summer. Yeah, no, for sure. Not every day you get to just work out with your coaches like that, or head coaches at that. It's usually like the PD guys or the assistant coaches. So uh, to see uh, Coach Saunders out there actually – uh, working with us and teaching us and, you know, being able to learn from him, you know, it's just great. You know, it's only going to be beneficial down the road. So, uh, like I said, it's, it's been great so far. Is your attitude that, that you're just looking for, for an opportunity? Like, I think about you being a McDonald's All-American. You've been a great player going back so many years. You're mm -hmm. injured your one year at Kentucky. You decide to, to stay in the draft. You end up going second round. Then you bounce. You've been <laughs> on a few different G League teams. Like, I'm just thinking, Jared, all you're looking mm -hmm. for is an opportunity because I think a lot of us sure. know how talented you are. Mm -hmm. I mean, would you for sure? That's that? really what it's all about. I mean, I feel like personally, that's what it's all about. Like everybody in the NBA, I feel like can play the game of basketball. It's just about situations and opportunity. And like one of my vets told me in Denver, he was just like, um, everybody's going to get their opportunity at some point. You just have to be ready, be prepared and be locked in and just make the best of it when that time does happen. So, uh, and that's what I've been focused on, just being prepared, being ready. So whenever that uh, opportunity does come, you know, I can take it on full head and, you know, uh, yeah, take full advantage of it. Who are some of those vets that you leaned on in Denver? I mean, Paul Millsap, some other guys? Um, I really pretty much we was just such a uh, family-oriented team. You know, we didn't have that many vets. But uh, just talking to guys like uh, Will Barton, you know, I had Isaiah Thomas my rookie year. Uh, even Paul Millsap, you know, those are some good guys that kind of just, you know, was there to, uh, you know, kind of take us under our wing and stuff like that. So they shared a lot of knowledge and wisdom with me my first couple of years. And, you know, uh, you know, I'm forever appreciative of that. But, yeah. And then here in Minnesota, I mean, are you looking forward to, to forming a bond with, with James Johnson? Mm -hmm. For sure. Even the little time I was here, James is always, like, 
from day one, he's always been, you know, talkative, interactive. He always wanted to learn and teach and stuff like that. So uh, I feel like he's going to be a great dude, uh, especially for me, kind of because I see some kind of similarities in our game, how he's versatile, how he plays and sees the game. And, you know, he has nothing but knowledge and wisdom to, to drop to the young fellas here. So, uh, like I said, I'm all ears uh, and just eager to, you know, grow and learn. Is there a safer environment than Mayo Clinic Square? I mean, I imagine you guys are tested, what, just every time you go in there? And there's, yeah. there's what? There's distance between you guys and the masks. And I can't imagine there's a safer environment. You know, it's definitely probably one of the safest places on the planet right now. But, uh, yeah, we get, like you said, we get tested every single day. Um, they kind of stagger the workout time, so it's not too many people there at once. Um, you're working with a limited amount of people, you know, whether it's weight room or gym. It's just, I think it's two people match as far as coaches. So, no, it's very safe. You know, that's that's the reason why I came back here, where I can work out, get some good workout in, while also being safe. Because you know, it's, you know, that's most important right now. So, um, I think it's just the best environment for our guys right now. Who are some of the other guys that are in town right now? I know that there's been a bunch of guys in town the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, guys are kind of in and out, but uh, I've pretty much seen everybody from you know. Uh, D-Lo to uh, the young guys, J-O and uh, J-Mac and uh, Nas and Jared and, you know, watch. So pretty much everybody just poked their head in and out, like, you know, uh, in the last couple of weeks or so. so. Mm. How much have you just put in, you know, work-wise in, in the <clears throat> weight room? I saw – you've probably seen some <clears throat> of the pictures out there maybe on social media, but, like, there was a picture of you from 2018 – and you certainly, mm-hmm. you've always had good muscle definition, but then I saw a picture sure. of you in the last few weeks. Honest mm-hmm. to God, Jared, I'm not saying this because we're doing the Zoom chat. Like, you look like Hercules to me. Yeah. You put in so much, you put in so much work with your upper body. Like, mm-hmm. just can you quantify just the numbers? Like, how much how much muscle have you added? Um. Well, since 2018, I've added probably about 15 pounds or so. But uh, recently, I've just been really just cleaning up my diet. I've been eating a lot better. And uh, it, I didn't necessarily gain a lot more weight, just kind of just trimmed it up and turned it into a little more muscle. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much what my goal, just to define and just uh, not so much gain weight, but just kind of just define the weight I had already. So what's your ideal playing weight? Are you at your ideal playing weight right now? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm there right now. Kind of, you know, it kind of goes up and down five or 10, five pounds or so, but uh, uh yeah, I'm I'm looking to take advantage of this long off season to try to properly gain weight, you know, not and do it the right way, um, while still being able to play, you know, my game. So that's our biggest focus between me and the staff right now is just trying to uh, gain some healthy weight, and uh, while still being able to do what I do. So what do you weigh right now? Uh, right now I'm within probably like uh, two to 220-ish. It kind of ranges from there, but, uh, yeah, so. And then in the weight room, like, do you ever do, like, a max bench? Like, I'm curious what the heck you're you're benching right now. No, no, I haven't done that in a while. Usually right now we just kind of focus on locking weight reps right now. But, yeah, I don't, honestly, I don't think I max bench since, like, college. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Where do you stand, Jared, on, on the idea of, of this team bubble? I mean, I don't know if it's going to happen. Some people have said maybe Chicago, you know, it would be you guys and – and all these other teams that are not in not in Orlando, where do you stand on that idea? 
Um, I'm, I mean, I see both sides. I think it's, it's a good opportunity for guys like myself, you know, to get out there and, uh, you know, show the world that they can play and have something to prove. So I feel like it would be a great opportunity for, you know, young guys like that. Uh, but as far as, like, vets, I can see them, you know, not necessarily wanting to do it because we're not playing for anything. It's just such a great risk with everything that's going on uh, right now. And, you know, it's obviously worth the risk if you're playing for something, you know, like a championship, but we're just playing just to play. Um, so I kind of see both sides. Uh, but judging off of how it's going down in the bubble, like they said, nobody, uh, I think uh, n nobody tested positive for like what was it the other day. Yeah, the other so, day, 346 tests, zero. Zero positive, zero positive right? Yeah. yeah, so I mean, from the looks of it, it looked like it's going good. So Adam Silver, he definitely has that under control and he had a great plan for that. So, uh, I mean, I'm obviously not opposed for it. I would love to play considering we are going to have this long offseason. So uh, it'll be good for guys like us, especially a team like us that just got traded um, like a couple months prior to this whole thing, uh, for us to get a chance to go play and get chemistry and get to know each other and get a feel for each other. I think that would be uh, that would be pivotal for a, a team like us as well. So uh, I'm definitely all for it. Why is Ryan Saunders' offense? It's the offense that Sam runs down down in Iowa. Why is that a good offense for your skill set? Um, I think it allows me to play my game. You know, um, whether I'm at the three, four, or five, uh, at the five, they kind of use the big as kind of like, uh, like the point guard, so to say. He kind of runs the offense as far as like, they, uh, like a delay action. They pick a side, so he can kind of make plays. Uh, uh, they're a big uh, three and layup team. I feel like I can generate a lot of threes and uh, – you know, uh, get up and down. They like to run. He's a fast-paced team. Um, they uh, can be a switching team at times, too. I feel like I can be able to guard one through five. So uh, I feel like there's a lot of good things that, you know, Ryan has going that I can provide. I'll leave you after this. I know that you guys have brought on some, some really notable speakers, you know, mm -hmm. via Zoom, kind of what we're doing here. But like mm -hmm. Alex Smith and Dabo Sweeney and Robin Roberts and mm -hmm. the Minneapolis mayor, the Minneapolis police chief, True mm -hmm. Pettigrew, you know, just mm -hmm. a bunch of different speakers. I mean, how beneficial, how, how great have, have those speakers been for you? I mean, I think it's great. Um, I, I just think it's great that they even put together the call or something like that, uh, you know, from the coaching staff. I think that's very, uh, that's very good for us as a team to just build chemistry, just have those calls daily and and basically really just hearing from different perspectives of like like we had a, a football coach, we've had uh, some motivational speakers, we, like you said, we had the mayor. And uh, just being able to connect with our community as far as Minnesota, uh, like we spoke with the mayor the other day, he kind of uh, spoke a little bit on the plans we have uh, for Minnesota moving forward and stuff like that. So I think it's just great to even have access to a lot of these guys to even be able to hear from them and uh, hear their life story and stuff like that. It's, 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 it's great. So all the calls have been great so far. Jared, would you like to be directly involved, you know, when talking about an acting change and I lost your, your video there for a second, but I still have your audio. There you go. Would okay. you like to be part of, as we talk about an acting change specifically here in the twin cities? I mean, uh -huh. this was, you know, the, the epicenter after, after the murder of George Floyd, would you would you like to be directly involved, help out as as much as you can when we talk about an acting change? 
For sure. You know, I'm all for it. Like, uh, me and some of the guys um, on the team and staff, have, they're trying to create something. And, um, you know, uh, strategize a plan for us moving forward and what we can do to help the communities in Minnesota here. So, uh, like I said, I'm all for it. Uh, uh, anything positive like that. So, yeah, I'll be all for it. I'll leave you with this. Do you like the Nuggets' chances down in Orlando? Um, I, th- I mean, right now I think it's fair game for anybody. You know, there's no home court advantage. Uh, everybody's been sitting out the same amount of time. So it's really even playing field right now. So, um, I mean, especially judging by the lineup they brought out last uh, last night, you, just, you never know. I think that was the tallest lineup in history or something like that. So, uh, I mean, like I said, they're a deep team. They got a lot of weapons and stuff. So, uh, but at the end of the day, it's a – is anybody's uh, is anybody's ball game right now? I feel like. Have you ever gone this long? I mean, I guess when it's all said and done, like opening night will be what, like December something. Your last game was like what, March tenth, March eleventh. Have you ever gone that long between games? Um, not I'm not sure if it's that long, but some similar just based off of injury. I've you know I've sat out of quite a bit, so. Uh, but no, this is definitely probably the longest offseason for sure. This, uh, what's that, like almost eight months? Uh, yeah, it's definitely an adjustment for sure. So, I mean, that goes back to Kentucky when you missed, you know, some time at, at mm-hmm. Kentucky. And just, I mean, mm-hmm. do, you, do you have a chip on your shoulder? Like, are you motivated to say, okay, again, it's just, you know, give me that opportunity. I know how good I am. Just give me that opportunity. I will show you how good I am. For sure. Like I said, I always had a tip on my shoulder. Just, uh, you know, like you said, starting from where I was at and then the injuries kind of just, you know, uh, just kind of, you know, put a, a dent in my career a little bit. But, uh, you know, like I said, all I need is an opportunity uh, just to show what I can do, show what I can, you know, provide to a team. Uh, you know, that's all I've been waiting on. Wolves forward Jared Vanderbilt did that interview a few weeks ago, forgot to play it back on this podcast, but I think the talking points were still pretty darn applicable. Now the Nuggets, I asked him about his former team, the Nuggets, they head into a game seven later tonight, so they could be done if they lose to Utah as soon as late tonight, but I think most of those talking points were still applicable. Let me keep the Wolves theme going, but it's got nothing to do with on the court I caught up with Josh Okogi, Wolves wing, last week. That was after the – it's just it's hard to fathom. Seven shots to the back of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin. It's been one thing after another, you know, when it comes to just the racism pandemic in this country, the social injustice pandemic in this country. I mean, there are multiple pandemics going on right now, the COVID-19 pandemic and the racism pandemic. Anyway, I caught up with Josh Okogie of the Wolves late last week. A happy birthday, by the way, to Josh. He turned 22 years old today. He is now 22 when we did this interview. I can do the math. He was 21. It's hard to believe he's only in his young 20s. The Wolves should be very fortunate, and I know they are, that they have Josh Okogie representing their organization. The tweet from Damian Johnson who is an African-American. He's a fixture in the local basketball community, former gopher, played overseas for a bit. He's now the head coach at Benilde St. Margaret's. He tweeted this morning, Josh, I'm so frustrated today 
so much going on with no signs of change in sight. When I read that, what's your reaction? I mean, I it's it's it's, it's crazy. Um, I don't really feel any way towards it because I feel like that is a true statement. Um, I feel like since the George Floyd video like surfaced online and people, you know, seen firsthand, you know, a crazy, I don't even want to say crazy because it's so normalized now, seeing seeing that kind of police force on a human being. Since that time we had a lot of riots, we've had protests, we had people, I'm talking about, yeah, people go to the DA district attorney's house and attorney general's house just to just to sit in and just to, just to protest, and we still haven't seen anything. We still haven't seen anything. It took all that to, just for them to charge the officers. You know what I'm saying? And Breonna Taylor, I was recently there a couple of weeks ago in Louisville. Breonna Taylor, in her room with her boyfriend, police who had no badges, who had no police uniforms, you know, barged into her home and her boyfriend, in, in order to protect Brianna, you know, there was obviously gunshots were, were traded between both parties. And it, it's so funny that we're still wanting those officers to be charged. And in this same time, that happened when in March, March, it is now August, almost September, we're still wanting those officers to be arrested. In the meantime, her boyfriend, who shot at those officers, served nearly two months in jail and missed Breonna Taylor's uh, missed Breonna Taylor's funeral. Couldn't even go to his own girlfriend's funeral, and that is so crazy that they were quick to arrest. They were so quick to charge her boyfriend for shooting at people who weren't weren't who were un unidentified, and that just shows you give you gives you a kind of taste of what is going on. Like there is no way. First of all, you know I'm having self defense. If any, if you have, if you are armed in your house, you're sleeping in the middle of the night. Somebody comes into your house and starts shooting at you. You're for sure gonna shoot back. Like there is no question. And for you to get arrested for that, and then when Rihanna Taylor got shot, she wasn't even dead. They didn't call any paramedics. They didn't seek any help. They didn't call backup. Nothing. They just let her die. And that right there is just crazy that we're still trying to find justice. And I. There's some people, the crazy part, people would say, why did her boyfriend shoot at the cops? That doesn't make any, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. Like I seen New York Post today showed a picture of, I don't even know the guy's name, the 17-year-old that uh, had that semi-auto um, in, um, in Kenosha. Yep. And the post was like, oh, he was seen washing off graffiti he was seen washing off graffiti, um, you know, off the off the walls or something. And that right there is like, it really spoke to me because I'm thinking in my head, okay, why is it when a, a white person who goes into a protest, which was peaceful, shoots, shoots, kills two, injures one, you post that he was, <laughs> He was washing off graffiti a couple of days ago. But when a black man is shot seven times in his back after defusing a, fi 
First of all, it's the cop's job to defuse fights. A black man said, I'm going to defuse this fight. He's walking to the car with his children, gets shot seven times in the post after that, which he did nothing. The post after that is, well, I think he was a previous felon or he had discharge or he had a knife in the car or he had a gun in the car or whatever the allegations may be. I find that kind of disturbing to me. And why is that? Is because when the cop shot him seven times, the cop didn't know what previous charges he had. It wasn't like the cop said, oh, I know him. He had this, he had that, he had this. And even if the cops didn't know what he had, cops aren't judges. They do not decide who gets to live and who gets to, and who gets to, um, um, to die. They, that's, not, that's not their job. Their job is to serve and protect. And I feel like they haven't been doing that. And it's, it's just so crazy. Like, it's just so crazy. And, and for me, it's very exhausting because every time something happens, somebody wants to request to, 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 to speak to me, which is fine. I don't mind speaking, but I get on calls. Oh, can we speak about the Breonna Taylor incident? Okay. Can you speak about the George Floyd incident? Okay. Can you speak about, you know, the J Jacob Blake incident? I, like, at this point, I'm like, dang, every month I'm speaking on a different person. And this is just only the things that get televised, only the things that get recorded. Like, there's a million more out there. And how, like, how many people have to die? How many people have to get shot to realize that there's a problem? And, our, and it's just a lack of leadership in our government. It is, it, it, it is, it is crazy. And I, I just, it's just like, you feel so helpless. You don't know who to turn to, but the people who you're supposed to turn to, the people who you're supposed to, to call to help to help you lead the people who are supposed to make these decisions, they're nowhere to be found. Well, I mean, you said it, Josh, you said that, that you're exhausted. I mean, how, how emotionally draining is all this when seemingly, unfortunately, Josh, it just seems like change, legitimate change is so far away. It's so frustrating because the change doesn't have to be far away. And that's the most frustrating part about, about it for me. It doesn't have to take years and years to make change. Like if we see, think about fixing a problem is you can't fix a problem that you don't know is there. You know, if, if, if your car has a flat tire and you don't see it, somebody doesn't tell you and your car is not wobbling, you're not going to fix your flat tire because you don't know it's there. You know what I'm saying? But Despite all the videos, despite the nation, I'm talking about our races, which is beautiful to see, crying for help. Despite all of this, for some reason, you have a select group of people still doesn't think that there's a problem. And that is a problem in itself. So until we can, until we can pinpoint this and say, this is a problem, or until as a collective, as a country, until we can say, this is a problem. It's never going to get solved because you have a big group of people who doesn't even see the problem, so they can't fix it. And these and the group of people, unfortunately enough, group of people who don't see the problem are kind of the groups of people who would have the most influence in making change. Is the first big step, big key, just with with the election fast approaching in November, just to make sure that people get out and vote? Like I saw that Chris Paul. Right, one of your NBA brothers, Chris Paul, helped his Thunder teammates that weren't registered to vote. He helped them register so that they can vote. Is that the first step here in a lengthy process, just to ensure that people 
you know, do their homework and vote for the right officials? Yeah, 100%. Um, and it's just not for the president. You know, you have governors across the country who have been in the you know office for 40 plus years. Like, it, and it's like, you can, I, I promise you, you can probably go to a, to a community and ask everybody in the community, what is our governor's name? And they probably won't even be able to tell you. And that is a problem because these are the same cities where you're not seeing any change. You know, it's, there's no way we should be telling Attorney General Daniel Cameron in Louisville that you should arrest the cops for Breonna Taylor. And this, those people in Louisville who put him in office, you know what I'm saying? That we have to, we have to better understand like the president is just as important as the government. The president is just as important as our state senators. The president is just as important as our mayor. The president is just is just as important as our attorney generals, our district attorneys, everybody. Because if anything, you see more change, or the mayors, the governors, district attorneys, attorney generals have more direct influence on you as an individual where you live than the president will. So I feel like we have to start beginning to get more familiar with who we put in office. Because if we don't, we're just gonna let them run and they have their own agendas and they have other people who sponsor them that they have to have their back when certain things happen. So it's a whole bunch of bunch of things that go into play. So we have to make sure we're doing our part and making sure whoever's sitting at those offices is people who we pick and people who we, I mean, we pick them, that's why we're there, but people who we feel comfortable with and people who we represent us the most. So, I mean, end of the day, if we, if we put somebody in place or we put somebody in a seat and, you know, a, a trouble comes and they're nowhere to be found, yes, it's their fault, but it's our fault as well because we put them there. And it's not our fault that we can obviously, police are killing us, that's nothing to do with us. But when something like this happens, we need leadership, and that's the leadership that we have to put in those seats to make sure that when a time like this happens, that things are handled in the correct way and expeditiously. You've had a chance to talk to the Minneapolis police chief, the Minneapolis mayor. Were those conversations beneficial? Do you feel like that some change can can come from from those meetings? Yeah, for sure. I think it's it's, it's important that we you, you speak uh, along with electing the right people, people that you think is going to represent you the most. It's important that you speak to them as well. Because at the end of the day, like I said, people don't know problems until they can, you know, identify them. And, you know, the, the best way to identify a problem is to talk about it. I mean, although this problem now is so blatant and it's so open nowadays, but it's also important to talk. Hey, Mayor Bray, like, what do you think about this? Chief Aragondo, what do you think about, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? This is what's going on. Can you help out with this? Can you help out with that? It's, 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 it's good to be have those talks so not only can you identify a problem, you can also brainstorm. Because although these people, it's their job to make decisions, it's their job to, you know, fix things when they're broken, it's, it's, you know, they, they also need some help as well. So, you know, it's always, it's always good to, you know, have those kind of talks to, you know, show your frustration. And if you have any, you know, ideas, it's always good to brainstorm with them. And maybe they take your advice, maybe they don't, but just to know that, you know, you got them on the same page. Your thoughts on the NBA deciding to to resume play this weekend? Yeah, I'm always I always stand, I always stand in solidarity with my NBA brothers, whatever decision they make. You know, I want to commend them first and the NBA for you know canceling the games yesterday. 
they canceled the game today as well. Um, now their decision to bring it back, I'm okay. I'm okay with it, but my, my only, my only, my only thing is I'm okay whether they bring it back or not. <laughs> but my 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 thing is what they do when they bring it back. You know what I'm saying? Like you know, the bubble was good. Like they put the Black Lives Matters uh, shirt. I mean, um, Black Lives Matter um, words or phrase on the court. They had the Black Lives Matter shirt. You know, press conference, people talk about it. Um, they they kneel for the national anthem. I just, I want to see, I want to see, I want to see more. You know what I'm saying? I want to see something that's going to shock people. You know, like, like I want to see something because you know, like, say somebody who doesn't want to watch that, they can, they, they can just turn the TV off. And, you know, they don't have to worry about it. I want to see, I want to see them do something where, whether you're watching the game or not, you're going to feel the impact that they have down there in Orlando. And that, that's 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 what I'm that's what I'm hoping for. I mean, the, the WNBA they have done a great job, and they all had like seven gun. I forgot what team it was. They all had seven gunshots and behind them on a white t-shirt. I mean, that right there was so symbolic. That was so great. Like, you know, the NBA has done a great job as well in in, in shining a light to to the um system the systematic. You still have me, okay, Josh? Yes. Okay. What are some specific ideas, I guess, when, when you talk about you want to see more down there? Give me some specific ideas. And do you feel like your franchise, your boss, Glenn Taylor, you know, what, what he can do, what he can impact, you know, is your organization doing enough? Our team has done a great job in, in terms of educating everybody. As soon as, as soon as, uh, as soon as George Floyd, you know, died. We had a Zoom call with everybody. We talked about it. We shared our grievances. It was it was really transparent. It was really you know unique. We never did that before. And you know everybody listens. And one thing one thing about our group is we probably have the most diverse front office in the NBA. You know, so um, everybody you know always everybody at least to some degree has some kind of prejudice shown against them. We all shared our thoughts. We all shared our experiences and to come together we you know we, we do stuff in the community we we pack up food for you know underprivileged neighborhoods we you know i've done my my, my share of fair stuff around not only minneapolis but everywhere else and you know i have some of my teammates join me as well just to it's always good to do that knowing that whatever you need your community has your back i mean not your community your team has your back it was funny i went to louisville with jared vanderbilt we went to louisville to do some stuff in the louisville community i got back some of my teammates were mad at me, like, why aren't you invite me? Like, you know, like, why aren't you bring me? And I want to come, I want to do this, I want to do that. And some of the staff is like, man, that was really cool, man. I would love, I'll, anytime you're doing stuff like that, let me know, I would love to come. And to come back to that is just so fulfilling. Like, man, you know what I'm saying? You know, usually you come back, people go, oh, that was good what you did. It was great what you did. Yeah, they're like, it's great what you did. But they were mad at me, like, yeah, I want to be there. I want to make a difference too. And that's just the kind of atmosphere that you see within the Timberwolves right now. That's fantastic. Josh, the Wolves are very fortunate to have you both on the court and certainly off the court. Stay safe, God bless, and thank you for doing this. Thank you. Wolves wing Josh Okogie, my conversation with Josh from late last week. Continuing the basketball theme, 
I was in the gym a few weeks ago at Benilde St. Margaret's with Brad Davison, Maple Grove native, Badgers guard, entering his senior year. Certainly is polarizing in many different ways. He was in the gym that day, by the way, with Gabe Kausher of the Gophers and professional player Quinton Hooker, former Mr. Basketball. He recently signed with a team in Germany. So he was in the gym with those guys, plus trainer Reed Osi. So while in the gym with those guys, I had a chance to catch up with Brad as well. Here's my conversation from a few weeks ago with Brad Davison. Brad, does the cliche hold true that time flies? Like, it just seems like it was, to use the cliche yesterday, that that I was with you at Maple Grove High School and you were announcing, hey, I'm going to be a Badger. Now, all of a sudden, you're entering your final year. Crazy. Senior year definitely came fast. You know, I've kind of said that the years kind of get longer and longer, but then when you look back at it for, for a full three years, snap of the fingers. Um, but, you know, time flies when you're having fun, too. So really enjoyed my first three. Looking forward to hopefully, uh, you know, a smooth fourth year. I mean, are you curious also to see what takes place? I mean, like one year from now, like what's the future hold? I mean, do you have plans to, to play professionally? Do you want to get right into coaching? Like mm-hmm. what's what's the future hold? Yeah, we'll see. There's a lot of uncertainty with that, and I haven't really made any decisions yet. Um, growing up, I've always wanted to become a college basketball coach. That's always been kind of my number one desire and didn't necessarily have a desire to play basketball after college. Final fours and Big Ten championships were kind of my peak. Um, but with the success that I've had the first three years, um, playing after college, whether that's here or overseas, it's definitely an opportunity that I would look into. Uh, we definitely would spend a lot of time and thought and prayer about that. Um, but ultimately, I do want to get into the college basketball coaching profession. So whatever that is, um, I know that there's a little bit more of a shelf life to that than there is playing. So when that time comes, I'll cross that bridge. As you look back at, at your first three years in Madison, I mean, just affirm your decision to commit there in the first place, that, that you've enjoyed your experience? Definitely. I've loved it. Um, you know, basketball's been great, school's been great, but most importantly, just the people, um, the, the coaching staff, my teammates, um, my ministry, my church, um, just the community that I've surrounded myself with. Um, I've really enjoyed all of it. Got to develop a lot of great relationships, a lot of great connect, connections and networking for the future. Um, so I've, I've loved every second of it. So looking forward to hopefully get back there soon whenever um, God willing that day comes. Have you overcome the sting of, I mean, you guys were playing so well there in particular. I mean, things changed when, I think it was when Potter became eligible. Mm-hmm. You guys just took off, right? And and you finished the regular season so strong. And then next thing you know, like you're preparing for the Big Ten tournament. Season shut down. Obviously no NCAA tournament when, when you guys could have made a run. Yes, sir. You know, we won our last eight games, got the Big Ten title. Uh, kind of had all the momentum on our side in the world. We're a really confident bunch going into that Big Ten tournament with the one seed. Um, but then, you know, some things happen that are much bigger than basketball. So we talked about in the locker room when we heard that the Big Ten tournament and sub tournament was going to be canceled, that there wasn't a whole lot of anger, but just kind of like a disappointed helplessness because there's just not much that we could do. Um, it's one of those things where there's just not a whole lot of closure with it. Um, so we can either focus on the moments that we missed out last year or we can, you know, start working towards the moments that hopefully we can maximize next year and make up for it. As you're in the gym right now with Reed, what are what are some things you're focusing on? Man, so I do a little different thing every day. So whether I'm with Reed or someone else or by myself, with Reed, one-on-one moves, end of the shot clock, I'm trying to create space 
and to get into, um, you know, get enough space to get your shot off and create. Um, so that's one thing that Reed is really, really great at. Um, so I love being in the gym with him. Not only is he a great trainer, but just, you know, a great person, great guy to be around. So we have a lot of great conversations, relate on a lot of different levels. So um, always a joy to be in here. Does he tell you often that you need to shoot the ball more? Like, I've watched Badgers games. I'm like, Brad, shoot the ball. Like, was it the game against Nebraska? And the Green was just talking about that, where you're making three after three, and I'm like, you can do that more regularly. Like, shoot the ball. Yeah, he, man, everyone, everyone has their own opinion here and there. Um, but he just always has on me to be confident, to trust my shot. Um, you know, I know that my role on my team is much bigger than just shooting and scoring. Um, so I try to make sure I'm doing all those other little things as best I can and leading the best that I can. Um, and when the shots are there, being aggressive, stepping up and knocking them down. Because uh, put enough time in that I kind of earn the right to trust it. Um, so he's, he's always in my ear. How have you grown since what took place last season with, with the suspension? Yeah, you know, my three years of college have been an emotional roller coaster with all sorts of things going on. Um, and one thing that I wouldn't change it. So I learned a lot about myself. Um, I learned a lot about the people that surround me, a lot about my inner circle. Um, and just, you know, sometimes when you go through trials and you go through tribulations, it makes you learn a lot about yourself, but also it really strengthens a lot of relationships around you. Um, so, you know, I've grown personally because I know where my identity comes from, but also relationally as I know, um, you know, the people that stick around me too. Well, what's interesting to me is anybody who's been in your presence, I've been around you enough, like great family, your mom and dad are fantastic. Anybody who knows you personally knows what kind of person you are. And then you've got these people on social media, hopefully you're not reading it, but I'm sure you're aware of some of the things that people are saying about you, but they don't know you. It just, it, to me, it's, it's, it's interesting how you've turned into this polarizing figure <laughs> when I know just how good of a person you are. Yeah, it's one of those things that social media and people's opinions and perceptions are kind of as real as you make it. Um, so for me personally, I actually got off social media um, last August, so I've been off of it. Uh, but with that being said, I still hear about it. I still read it from friends or whatnot. Um, but at the end of the day, um, you know, there's a lot of things in this life that you can't control and we talked about earlier. Um, but, you know, perception can kind of come reality. That's what I keep hearing from a lot of people. But there are troops. Um, and so I, I know where my intentions lie. Um, and I know that I want to make sure that I, um, you know, carry myself in a proper way. The people that I'm around, um, I want to love on them, be there for them. But people that have never met me or maybe just watched me play basketball, you know, their opinions are not necessarily something that I can control. And to be honest, not the approval that I'm really um, playing for. Um, but so I don't know. How fine a line is it where you want to play a certain style on the court, right? And, and you want to help your team as much as you can. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, whether it's, you know, hitting a guy, you know, you're coming around a screen and you give mm -hmm. a guy an elbow and then everybody just says, Brad, right, dirty <laughs> player. But you're just competing. You're playing hard. Yeah. You're doing everything you can to help your team win. Just how fine a line is that? Right on. And you know, it's, it's a line that's different for everybody, too. So it's not really a fine line. Um, and so for me, my intention has never been to hurt anybody or harm anyone. My intention has always just been to work as hard as I can, um, play with as much effort, enough energy as I can to help my team win. Um, so I'm always going to leave it on the floor. I'm going to go as hard as I can. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I know my intentions. The people who know me know my intentions and know how much I love being out there. Um, and I respect the game too much to do anything other than that. Um, so just looking forward to the opportunity to be back out there, um, getting to play with my teammates and play as hard as I can once again. I mean, with you back, with the core back, like as good as you guys were last season, like 
Let's hope there's a season. But yeah, if there crossed. is, like you guys should be really good. Yes, sir. That's the goal. You know, there's a lot of lot of expectation and hype around the team, but most importantly, you know, we have such strong relationships after everything we've been through. We just want to get back together. Um, and we know that when you have a really strong group of players, not only talented but also bonded together, you can do a lot of special things. So we're looking forward to it. We got all got enough weapons to make it happen. Just you know, hoping to get the chance. I mean, speaking of weapons, I mean. Nate Reavers, right? I mean, we think about the Minnesota guys. I mean, there's a bunch of Minnesota guys on the roster, but Nate in particular, like Nate's game has grown so much. Definitely, you know, especially on the, you know, I think like, people talk about a lot on the offensive end, his ability to stretch the floor, play in the post, create off the dribble. Um, but defensively, he's been huge for us in ball screen coverage, protecting the rim, rebounding. You know, every year his game's growing and growing and growing, like you said. So, so much fun to play with. Love his energy, the tenacity he plays with, someone that you want on your team. Um, so, yeah, he's been a stud for us. He's going to have a big senior year as well. What about Tyler Wall? I mean, just figure now that he's got mm -hmm. his feet wet, knows the college game, that, that year two should be that much better. Definitely. Another one of those guys that you want to pick first in open gym because you want him on your team, just how hard he plays, how hard he works. Those are the little things that maybe don't show up in a stat sheet, um, but he did that so well as a freshman for us. So many games where maybe he didn't score, but he'd come in and dive on the floor, take a charge, set a good screen, things like that that might go unnoticed. But, you know, people that know basketball and they're on the team, the coaching staff, we all love it. Um, so definitely someone that can take a huge step this year with his role increasing, um, someone that you know, has a really nice stroke. He's got to get the confidence to let it go, and we'll be on him for that. Um, but, you know, he's going to have a really, really special career at Wisconsin. Maple Grove native Badger senior guard Brad Davidson. Let me wrap by playing a snippet of my conversation with local golfer John Harris. I was over at Edina Country Club the other day working on a TV story that will air on Channel 5 early next week. The headline is John Harris, 68 years old, one of the best golfers to ever come out of the state of Minnesota, won in 06 on the Champions Tour, the then Senior PGA Tour. He's won a number of Minnesota State Ams. He's won the U.S. Amateur back in 93, held off Tiger Woods. So John Harris has won a number of events. He will play in his last competitive golf tournament next week. It's the Champions Tour stop in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, the T. Denny Sanford tour stop. I forget the official title, but it's the Sanford whatever in Sioux Falls, South Dakota next week. So that will be it for John at 68. He won't play any more competitive golf after that. He'll clearly still play, just not at the competitive level. Anyway, here's a snippet of my conversation from the other day with John Harris. John, you're 68 years old. Correct me if I'm wrong. Why is now the time to say, you know what, I'm done playing competitive tournaments? Well, it's it's a hard decision. I love playing, but, uh, you know, the reality is that I'm not as competitive as I used to be. And um, I still have fun playing, and I still think I've got good days ahead of me. But, uh, you know what, it's time to let the younger guys go, and uh, it's time for me to... Um, you know, stop playing competitively and, and uh, maybe pass along a little of the knowledge and experience that I've gained over the years to some of the younger guys that uh, in a similar fashion to the way it, uh, I was helped when I started the game. Was there any temptation, John? I mean, 70 is a nice big milestone number. Was there any temptation to play a couple more years? Well, I would love to play. And, you know, my health is good and uh, I enjoy playing. But, uh, you know, the reality is with the virus and with everything else that's going on that, uh, um, you know, those spots in the tournaments are real precious and uh, it's time for me to step down. All right, so the weekend after Labor Day, this tournament in, in South Dakota, I mean, this is it, but I mean, it's such an atypical time. Like, can you even have family and 
some friends there are like, it's just, it's so weird. Well, I think so. And Denny Sanford and, uh, you know, the Sanford International has done a wonderful job. This will be the third year of the event. And they are optimistic that uh, they're going to have fans and they're going to have a pro-am and uh, that it's going to be a celebration. And, and um, you know, for um, Sanford and uh, the state of South Dakota, it's absolutely fantastic. And uh, I hope that uh, it comes off without a hitch. The state has been great with their... Uh, numbers and, and all the things that uh, they've done to uh, work around this virus and and um, you know golf has been uh, right at the forefront in uh, bringing back entertainment so I think it's a good thing it'll be a nice way for me to uh, kind of end my career and and uh, say thank you and say goodbye to some of the guys that uh, I've been hanging around with for the last 15 years. John if I told you in the mid 70s you're playing for Herb Brooks you're a great hockey player at the U that many years later, let's fast forward to 2020, that you would have all these accomplishments, all these wins, and you'd be playing at 68 years old. I mean, what what would you have told me? Well, that, that I'm a real lucky guy, that I'm very fortunate. I've been uh, relatively injury free. Um, one of the assets that I've always had is a lot of passion. And uh, I enjoy the process, I enjoy the practice, I enjoy getting ready for tournaments. I don't enjoy uh, not being competitive, but I do uh, enjoy the process of playing. And, you know, it's uh, I learned a lot from Herb. I learned a lot from Les Ballstead. I was very lucky to have two of the greatest uh, teachers uh, of their respective sports at the university when I was there. And, and uh, some of the things that I learned from them uh, have kept me in good stead going forward. And uh, I've been very blessed to be able to play for 50 years. They don't make them much nicer than John Harris. That was a snippet of my recent conversation with him as he enters the final competitive tournament of his career next week in South Dakota. We are done on this Tuesday night, the 1st of September. This has been Scoop Podcast episode 312. Stay safe. Stay sane.